should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out. And it's also hashtag FOF or FOF. Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week to week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Good evening and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. You can find us at commonwealthclub.org, Facebook and Twitter, and our YouTube channel. I am Kimberly Moss, the Vice President of Development for the Commonwealth Club. The Tony Award-winning Berkeley Repertory Theater here in Northern California is renowned for producing innovative new plays by emerging artists, as well as classic works with established veterans. 2016 is the 400th year anniversary of William Shakespeare's death, and Berkeley Rep marks the occasion with their upcoming production of Macbeth, the Bard's classic murderous play about the lust for power and the fickleness of fate. The, two, the play stars two of the most talented actors alive. Conleth Hill was born to take on the role of the complex and ever-ambitious Macbeth, the Olivier Award winner and Tony Award nominee plays Lord Varys on the wildly popular te television epic Game of Thrones. He is a classically trained actor celebrated for his outstanding film, television, and theatrical performances in the United Kingdom and on Broadway. Instrumental to her husband's aspirations, Lady Macbeth will be brought to life by the incomparable Frances McDormand. Frances has never shied away from playing complex and eccentric characters, as evidenced by her Oscar-winning role in Fargo, the title role of Olive Kitteridge, for which she won an Emmy, as well as a Tony Award-winning Broadway run of Good People, directed by Daniel Sullivan, who directs Macbeth at the Berkeley Rep. Joining them in conversation tonight as moderator is Tony Ticconi, the Michael Leibert Artistic Director of the Berkeley, Berkeley Repertory Theater. It is my distinct pleasure and honor to welcome to the stage Conleth Hill, Francis McDormand, and Tony Ticconi. Thank you. First of all, I want to start by saying thank you. 
um, for being here. This is your one day off of the week. It's our day off, kids. Um, there are three, <laughs> three weeks into rehearsal for Macbeth, which is a no-joke play. And, um, oh, no, we've, we've managed no, we to throw got, a few yeah, jokes in. Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. really? Great. Yeah. I look forward to that. And a dance um, ballet sequence. <laughs> yeah. Dream sequence. Dream sequence. <laughs> great. Uh, why don't we start with the cost of it all? So um, I once had an actor say to me that she couldn't play a role because it was going to cost her too much. The price internally. I don't think she was referring to the, just our pay oh. scale, but I think she was, she was actually referring to actually the, the difficulty of the task. Is that something you, you weigh when you get a job offer? Um, in terms, you, you mean in terms of the psychology, the, emotional, the character, and, and yeah, where you have to go, where you have to go, sort of internally. No, no, not a problem for you. If it doesn't cost, it's not worth anything. Okay, okay. So, but there are, <gasps> but there are challenges, evidently. With oh yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Sorry, this is all. You're good. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah but I, no. I, I think yeah. it, the cost thing is interesting, though, because I, for me, in the theater, the cost, the, 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 it's harder if you don't have a roadmap you can trust. Right. And what I know from working with Dan Sullivan two mm -hmm. times before is that that's what that man gives you. He gives you a solid roadmap, you get into a production, and you don't get lost because he because he's a master. Mm -hmm. So that is, is the cost in the theater. The cost in film and television can be the same thing, just ineptitude, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Because we're, uh, we're in a service it's much, position. It's much cheaper <laughs> in terms of cost when the person knows what they're doing, who's in charge. Uh -huh. Right. Before we get into that, um, so when or was there a moment in each of your lives when you thought, I have to be an actor? Yes. Uh, Fran? Yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. <laughs> Yesterday. Go on. Yeah. I want to hear your answer. Uh, the circus, funnily enough, used to come to the field next to where I lived when mm -hmm. I was a child. And I just loved the performance mm -hmm. and the fact that it was, they were small Irish touring circuses, so it was like one family who were playing six different acts. Mm -hmm. So one, they'd be from Mexico. And then the next one, they'd be from France. And, you know, it was, I loved the kind of multi-playing and the lights and the... So that was where I decided. That and you started to, like, imagine yourself as, as being part of that? Or imagine yourself in... in, in yeah, the, I think the curtain, just what was on the other side of right. the curtain, always fascinated me as a kid. Uh -huh. And I still love going to see a play when, when it just opens. Right. So you don't have any concept set that's there. So you have no idea what's going to happen. I like that mystery. Right. I Francis? guess that sort of appealed mm. to me. Yeah, I think for me, it probably started at church. Mm -hmm. My father was a preacher, sang in the choir, and there's a, even in a small rural Protestant uh, church, there's a certain amount of theatricality. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I sensed that early and enjoyed that. But literally, when I got the hook, literally mm -hmm. the hook in my mouth, was when I was 14, I had an English teacher who we read Macbeth in school, and we put together scenes after school, and I did the sleepwalking scene, and that was it. I loved the, I, I loved the, I was very shy, and really kind of socially incompetent, but I felt really powerful. Right. Everybody was listening to me, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I was speaking beautiful words. 
And so I've wanted to do it ever since. So you mentioned your family. Um, you were adopted? I'm adopted. And, uh, and your family um, moved around? Yeah, there was a certain amount of itinerancy because my father was really good at going into a small church that was struggling with their, with their numbers in the mm -hmm. congregation, and he was really good at getting everybody to come out. And so I think when he, he would establish a youth group, we would get the spaghetti dinners going or the black eyed peas soup going, whatever it was in, the, in the, the state we lived in. And once he got it on its feet, he was ready to, for the next challenge. So we, we moved a lot because of that. And was there any, I mean, is there any value to moving around a lot in terms of the numbers of experiences you had growing up and, and your ability to, to watch other people through different situations? Well, or? it's interesting because it, it's, it's it, I mean, I imagine because Conleth, you, you were born and raised in Ballycastle. Yeah, where I still live. And still well, lives, right? I can't, I can't so get out. There, <laughs> there's no reason to. I've yeah. seen his garden. I think there are, there are like two personalities in, in the, theatrical, the theatrical. There's the one that grew up moving around a lot right, and right. kind of re uh, reinventing yourself a lot and right. having the opportunity to reinvent yourself. And then there's people who lived in a small town, knew everyone, knew the theater, theat and, and it was about seeing the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Whether it's whether you do theater in your small town, you're still seeing the rest of the world. Absolutely. Right? And you've spent, you were born and raised in uh, Valley Castle, Castle. Right? Yeah, yeah. which is near the well, Giant's if, Causeway up there. This is the, the not very time. good for radio, but if this is Ireland, <laughs> right? <laughs> so Cork and Kerry are down here. <laughs> And Dublin's about there, and Belfast's there, and I'm right up on the <laughs> northeast. Beautiful. Ballycastle is about a population of about 5,000 folks. Yeah, it's bigger now than it was when I was a kid. And, and so, and you've chosen to live there for your, you know, for life. Yeah. Why? Well, I came, I, I, I um, finished school, went to art college for a year, had a year out, then went to drama school. And when I came out of drama school, I was going everywhere to work, Scotland, London, back home. And so I decided quite early on, well, I may as well live where I want to live and go where the work is. Right. And it just worked out very well for me. Right. It mightn't have, but it did. So you're both um, classically trained. Um, is, would you say that you have a method of approaching uh, roles that is similar in terms of... To each other? No, or, not oh. at all. Are there, are there strategies that you apply for, for every role versus changing your approach depending upon what you're playing? Uh, it's pretty similar for me. Okay, what is it? What, uh, well, it's ba ba basically the, the, all I go on is what is on the page, because that's all an audience can ultimately go on, uh -huh. the words that you're delivering. Right. And um, then just map the journey of the character through the play. Right. But also, I'll read the whole entire play uh -huh. so many times, uh -huh. just so you get a feel for the movement. Right. In a musical sense, not a bowel sense. And, uh, <laughs> you know, of the whole piece. Right. And so it's not, you know, it's all, almost been the same approach from when I left school. It was right. just uh, that simplicity. Right. And what about you? For, yeah, I point? think that's, that's the best thing about having a training, whether uh -huh. it be classical or not. Just being trained is that you are, you know that you're serving the text. Mm -hmm. And that, especially for me, in, as a female actor, I'm often, not so much in the theater, but 
in film and television, I've served as a female in a supporting role to male, the stories of male protagonists. So I would have to dramaturgically figure out where I fit in somebody else's story more often than not. Right. So it can't be about you. It can't be about only your one scene or two scenes or a character that only has one name or maybe not a name and certainly not an apartment. <laughs> She's just there. <laughs> so, but if... But if you know where you sit in the whole arc of that story, then you, you know what you're serving. And do you talk to the director about that? Which director? Your, well, <laughs> let's say, for, you, know, for, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, you know, for this play. So, you know, with Dan, you, you've been talking about this play, thinking about this play. Do you talk to him about what his vision is and where you fit into that scheme of things? Well, it, it's interesting because we, we've worked together twice before the last play was Good People. And I think at some point I mentioned, you know, we were talking about doing something again. I said, what about Macbeth? And he went, mm, 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 mm. Don't know what to do with those witches. That's a hard one. And I said, yeah, well, maybe it'll come back around. Well, let's keep talking about it. And then we met outside a production, and I, it will not remain nameless. I'm going to say it right out loud. Mr. Brauna's production that was at the uh, Park Avenue Armory in New York, which was extraordinary kind of... Uh, immersive event, because it's this huge, huge, brick, beautiful, you know, uh -huh. Civil War era building. And you go in, and they did this very kind of weirdly uh, kitschy thing where you all split up. Uh, you got your you got these, like, you know, those rubber bracelets that they give you. One said Angus. One would say, you know, McDonald. You had these clans, and you're all broke into clans. <laughs> And then there had these huge wood doors going into the uh, event space, and you were led there by a young NYU volunteer student from the acting program, and they would pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. Angus is here. And then we'd all, like, the doors would open, we'd all go in. And it's then Game of Thrones. It was, a, it, was, it, was like a, it was like a video game. And then there was the moor, and the witches were warming up in the moor. It was like... So the event was extraordinary, but the actual production was not su successful. And so I ran into Dan afterwards, and I said, come on, we can do better than that. <laughs> and he said, damn right. You're right. Yeah. So that's why we're here. So in terms of what you, that wasn't the question you asked, but the, <laughs> the, um, I had, you know, I've been working on this since I was 14, so I've had like a lot of ideas, <laughs> but, and one of my ideas just, he let me have it all the way until last week, and we, <laughs> he finally and, he fi and we finally <laughs> agreed to, that it no longer, it was kind of like on Good People, for all through previews for the character I was playing, who was a Southie from Boston, I had a huge tattoo of a cross on my neck because I just believed that this woman and I just thought it would it just looked so good mm. and then a guy from South Boston came to see a preview and I said well, so what do you think what do you think and he goes you got the dialect I know this woman she's really familiar but no woman in Southie would mess with Jesus like that we'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this 
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. So, no more tattoo. But to his credit, Dan let me have that tattoo all the way through early performances because mm-hmm. it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt to play, right. and it gave me something. <laughs> it gave you something to hang on to. <laughs> have you seen other productions? How many other versions of Macbeth have you seen? Oh, over the years, many, many. So, is it obviously this is an iconic play? You know, is there any sort of intimidation factor about the the other versions that you've seen, or are you just Blotting them all out, just going. No, I, 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 to be very honest, I had no intention of ever playing this part. Uh-huh. And if it wasn't for Fran, I wouldn't be. Right. So <clears throat> she's to blame. Right. So I no, I had credit. no, I had no, no, uh, you know, like, uh, but the, the phone call with, with um, Dan was so funny. Right. Because it was the most laid back um, interview I've ever had in my life. Uh-huh. Where he was, he just went, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just said, oh, that's so bloody and so dark and so... Anyway. And so, was that, so I was kind of, okay. And then he said, he, he said something like, we're just going to do the play, which I always find refreshing. You know, there was no concept. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, so many versions I've seen were, uh-huh. you know, in the Macbeth comes out to do the if it were done speech to right. get a bottle of wine or a cheese board <laughs> or to load the dishwasher. And right, right, right. So right, right. I, I was kind of very relieved to hear right. that it was going to be just a normal production of the play I was written. Right. And then he said, so if you have any questions, just call me. And I was like, OK. And then he hung up and then I was like. Well, was that an offer? Or? <laughs> I still wasn't sure, but it was Fran who asked me initially. So, And um, what that, was it about working with Fran that, that was so appealing? Obviously, in fact, she's an astonishing actress, but I'm just so I'm, I'm curious about your, well, your think, perception about her I think her it'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who wouldn't take the opportunity of working with Fran. Mm-hmm. Thanks, and Fran. I, I, I genuinely mean that. Thank you. I mean, you. even... <clears throat> I've watched her for years. She did a film which was very brave in its day called uh, the, the Ken Loach one. Hidden Agenda. Hidden Agenda, which was about uh, a journalist in Belfast uh, at the time of the trouble. So I've kind of known of her work since then. And we met, not even socially, just after shows on Broadway. In, yeah, we were, we kind of, our paths have kind of been going like that. So, sort of a little bit, of, yeah. 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 Cool. In a great way. Yeah, and uh, so that was my ego boost. And, and I, 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 you know, I think the fact that Fran wanted me to do it would have negated any <laughs> possible fears that I might have had. Right. That you brought up earlier, yeah, yeah. you know, about the... Sure. The, 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 well, the history of the part and right, the history right. of people who've played it right. just didn't come into it. Right. If she wanted me to do it, that Fine. was enough for done. me. Lady Macbeth, done. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. the, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that... Like, as I've thought over the years of doing it, 
I've been had opportunities to audition for different productions around the country in regional theaters, right. and and I've never wanted to do it unless it was a great production because I uh, it's not just the role. It's the play. Mm -hmm. And I think we're so fortunate that Dan understands that the power of it. Mm -hmm. And we literally, we walk out on stage, we plan it, and we deliver. And almost most of the scenes. Mm -hmm. And that's all you have to do. Mm -hmm. The language is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's a great story. It surprises you over and over again. It's just, it's great. Mm -hmm. But I, I also think, we were talking about it earlier too, the, what we have in common as actors is that we are interested in the respect of our peers. Mm -hmm. And that if you, you, can, you, can liter you can actually build a professional life on that goal. And we have. People like to work with us, they come out for us. Mm -hmm. People want to work with Conlith mm -hmm. if they know he's doing something. So that, that, that can take you all the way through. Mm -hmm. Just respect so and it, earning it. Right, so how's it going in rehearsal? Great. Sucks. <laughs> so, so tell him about tell him about my panic attacks. This was really good. Well, uh, firstly, this all comes from a hugely brilliant and positive place. But Fran is so enthusiastic <laughs> that sometimes she doesn't wait for you to finish what you are saying <laughs> before she comes in with her lines, and then we'll in the in the middle of her line go, oh God, you had go. <laughs> I don't do that. She, she so does that. But it, it was, it's and eventually weird. I had to go, Fran, listen. <laughs> it was specifically this one scene where after, you know, he's, he's done the dirty done the deed. deed. He's done the dirty deed with Duncan. And so it's all of this extraordinarily, beautifully written uh, scene of... of of cover. panic and cover and and uh, and, he, and, and existential existential crisis yep. on Macbeth's part Very after good. having done this and hearing the voices that are basically telling him your 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 life is over your life is over because of what you've done and it, it but from Lady Macbeth's point of view it's a logistical nightmare because she's got to get him out of there so no one sees that they've done it and but there's a there's a and it's very hard, it was very hard for me to not panic. <laughs> I was just panicking. I absorbed his panic, I've absorbed everything, and just started panicking. What are we gonna do with this? What are we gonna do with this? And I, was just, I just became a panicking housewife rather than a very calculated <laughs> but it and was prepared still brilliant. housewife, which is a different thing. Still brilliant. <laughs> so I, I calmed down and we're, we're, we're doing much better now. Yeah. You, you lobbied to play one of the witches. Uh, well, I don't know if I lobbied, but Dan said I'm thinking of ca uh, double casting everything, and I said, great, I can be one of the witches. Uh -huh. And um, are, you, are you sort of, how are you approaching that? Is that a totally separate thing, or are there echoes of Lady Macbeth in there? What are you, what are you doing? Well, Dan is really right about what do you do with the witches. Right. It is a really difficult thing because, uh, you know, and what's really great because we're, Dan has set our production in, the uh, Middle Ages, mm -hmm. so we're very close to the time that Macbeth would have reigned. So in that time in Scotland, as in most everywhere, Christianity, Christianity had taken hold, mm -hmm. but paganism wasn't far behind. People were still living animistic lives, so especially in a place like Scotland. So the idea that there are uh, men and women, there are humans in the community that are in touch with 
more ancient forms of, of religious practice and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, the way that people who had deformities or who were even widows or, mm-hmm. you know, people with birthmarks, they were considered witches. Right. And also when Shakespeare wrote the play, James I, uh, who had just come into power and who he wrote this play to perform mm-hmm. for, was really into demonology, not into it. He was interested in it and had written this whole treatise about it. So it was in the, it was in the, the political and, and cultural conversation. So, but the difficulty with the play is that they're not characters. They are a entity mm-hmm. they're, they're they, the mm-hmm. three of them are one mm-hmm. and so it's really hard to figure out how to come to it as a performer but so at one one day you know we're basically the three of us the three actresses that are playing the witches we're just throwing everything we know at it we're just bringing all our stuff <laughs> we're bringing the bags suitcases the trunks are pulling in but at one point I said to Dan what's our goal what's our goal mm-hmm. and he said anarchy you are anarchists you are here to save the the earth mm-hmm. of Scotland mm-hmm. because the men are destroying, destroying it right. with war mm-hmm. and that was for me that went <laughs> I heard and that's what we're doing yeah, right, right? don't you think absolutely you're the only actor from across the pond do you notice a difference in in approach I can't make up what you're saying <laughs> Uh, no, and we didn't practice that. No. <laughs> we'll play in the big room next week. Uh, no, not at all. I, I'm t- well. I'm totally um, uh, humbled by the the amount of goodwill and the welcome that mm-hmm. I've got, and uh, and I'm very impressed by how hard everyone works and how brilliant everyone is. Mm-hmm. Wish some of them weren't so young and good looking, but yeah, you can't have what everything. What can you do? You know? What can you actually no, do? Nothing. No, no, not at all. Uh, very similar approach from everyone, I think. Great. Um, so, um, what's the biggest challenge you think you have left in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the play? Stamina. Stamina? Yeah, but, but knowing Dan and have, having worked with him before, he's brilliant at not only giving you the roadmap, but building you towards Physical that. Physical stamina, psychological yeah. stamina, or but all, 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 all of it. it. Just what it takes right. for eight, eight shows a week. Right. Yeah. But um, specifically with this because of the language right. and being facile enough with it that uh, your energy doesn't change your, the liquidity of it. And right. the, but I think um, the... But also, I'm 58. Wow. <laughs> you know, it takes a, right, it takes right. a toll. Yeah. But um, I'm not. I, I'm fortunate that, that I'm not doing it. You know, I'm I'm here just to do this, so right. I can dev- devote my time to it. But I think stamina and mm. um, also what's great about Dan is that from day one, the minute you get on your feet, you're working transitions as well as sure. scenes. Right. So we already know. I, every now and then, I have to say, "What's next? What's next?" Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, we know we know what the whole flow of the play is now. Right. You said in, in an interview um, once in response to a, a physical challenge for some role that you hadn't ran since the 1980s. Yes. So, so <laughs> I'm wondering about the physical challenge for, <laughs> for you as well. Well, again, just the, the patience of Dave Meyer, who's our, our right. fight instructor, and uh, James Carpenter, who's our brilliant... Uh, he, he, he's just he's the Alec Guinness of our company. Yes, he is. Yeah. He's playing yeah. about three different roles, but he's also our fight captain. And again, the patience of these young, brilliant fighters to wait for... I'm a bit like 
somebody from Dad's army, you know. But uh, I'm getting there, and they've been very patient, and so I'm not worried about it. Great. The spites are beautiful. I sit there and watch them, like, oh, my my God. Because often you you see fights on stage, it's like, oh, man, I don't believe that. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. These are scary. Right. They feel dangerous. Uh They're not. They're really, and, and what's, it's really, Dan has cast some of the tallest actors. Key that, factor. It's, it's fa- it, it, and so when all these tall men with swords come on stage, it's like, ah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> we're halfway through, and I'm supposed to read something here. Uh-oh. And uh, we're going to take oh. some questions from, from you, which are going to be coming up from <laughs> some, somebody's bringing up, me up some questions. So, uh, this is the Commonwealth Club of California program, and we are talking to Conleth Hill and Francis McDormand, who the Berkeley Rep will host in an upcoming production of Macbeth. I am Tony Ticone, your moderator. You can hear Commonwealth Club programs on the radio, catch up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and see program videos on your YouTube channel. That has been accomplished. So, questions from the audience? Are we, are, are we getting the questions here? Great. Here we go. Round 45. Francis. Yes? Do you have an opinion of women in leadership roles? Still not, still not many of us in leadership, and we are still underpaid. That's from John. I completely agree. What can I say? I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist because we haven't reached our goal, which is equal pay for equal work. And uh, I think... Uh, I actually, a young woman said to me recently, the goal of feminism is to become obsolete. And I think that that's the truth. And that was, is a beautiful way of putting it. So, yes, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I also raise, I have a 21-year-old son, and I don't think it's much easier to be a, a young man in our culture than it is to uh-huh. be a young woman. I think they all are deeply confused mm-hmm. and terrified. Mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, it's not so much leadership. You know, women have been in leadership positions. We've all, we're always, in, we're, we're naturally in leadership positions, to, I think biologically. But I think, unfortunately, in the, in the working world, mm-hmm. we're not. We're mm-hmm. not being paid equally. You just need money. Dude, we resources. need investment. Yeah, resources. You know, more of anything. It's like I recently sat on a panel for, it's called Women in Motion. Horrible title, but it was about women in film. And they were saying, what do you think are the challenges you know, that women face? And I said, we, we, the challenge we face is that we're not being, nobody's investing in us. Mm-hmm. We don't need the skill. We don't need the talent. We don't need the scripts. We don't need, all we need is the investment. Mm-hmm. There's enough of us doing it and prepared. We just need the investment. Right. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. It's We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. 
Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Um, what do you love most about your job? Uh, I love everything about it. Um, I love that, I love the sense of team, and I grew up in a place that was at war when I was a child, and I, I'm very proud that one of the few places that stayed open every night was the Lyric Theatre. Uh-huh. And you met people from different backgrounds, different colors, different religions, different sexes, and who all got together and worked together. And, and I love the journalistic aspect of telling someone else's story, uh-huh. not my story uh-huh. through someone else. Right. And my father was a, a film cameraman uh, during the worst of the trouble. So I think from him I got this responsibility to tell that story, not your slant on it, not how you think it should have been or could have been or would have been. Um, What do you most love about your job? Uh, uh, I like the rigor. Uh Uh-huh. I like pretending. The rigor? The rigor, you know, just like that that it's a job. Yeah. It's a a job description at home. (laughs) Someone who puts up rigs. A rig. (laughs) No, not a rigor. Does the rigor, the rigor, the rigor. <laughs> She's not Sorry. having a romantic affair with a rigor. <laughs> I wouldn't judge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. Sorry, okay. I interrupted. Oh, and and I like I like uh, I like to travel. It's like better. Travel. It's better than joining the military. Mm. See the world. Right. Exactly. Okay. How many children did Lady Macbeth have? There you go. Question. Well, I, 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 I'd love to talk about this, actually, because it's something that is really um, a very specific through line for our production. Because we're an older couple, and, and, and mm-hmm. I, talk, I talked a lot about this with Dan when uh, we were talking about doing it. Um, it. And it holds. We're really finding this beautiful, beautiful snake that just goes through. They're at the end of their ambition, not at the beginning. Macbeth is a warrior, and he does really well there, but every time he comes back, she knows she can't send him out too many more times because he's not going to... Mm-hmm. He, can't, he can't take it forever. Uh-huh. She's got to get him a desk job. <laughs> so this, is, this is her last window. And the, her, her, the point of her existence in her culture is to produce an heir, and she has not, pull, she's not done that. Uh-huh. And I think uh, we haven't talked to, about it that much because, in fact, we don't need to. And, uh, uh, fortunately, just the, we, we know, we know mm-hmm. what we're doing. We know what we're doing with that, but from my point of view, I think there's been several stillbirths. I think she hasn't had any ba- child last past infancy. She knows what it is to give suck and to tenderly love her baby, but she also knows the deep, scarring pain of losing them. Uh-huh. And I think in, um, in our production, the, the witches are, we're, we're playing that she has an allegiance with them in uh-huh. some way that uh-huh. 
She's gone to them for mm-hmm. help in those ways. There's a kind of symbiotic thing going on with that. And they yeah. per- perhaps were midwives, and you know, uh-huh. and then it, so that there's there's a relationship not only that one, the actor is playing Mac- right. Lady Macbeth and one of the witches, but that there's a sense that they know each other. How important is it in theater to develop a relationship with your co-star outside of the structure of the play? That's sort of not... well, it's better not to know them at all. Yeah, <laughs> I don't so think it's, it's necessarily right, important. Right. right. You know, I, I think you've got to respect that everybody works differently and that you don't have to be best buddies with everyone right, right, you work right. with as long as they're well, doing the job and you're doing right, your of course, job. Of we happily go to jazzercise together. <laughs> <clears throat> so, you know. I think these people would pay to see that. We'll throw it in the dream sequence. <laughs> the dream, in the this is becoming a longer dream sequence as the <clears throat> yeah. evening moves along. Francis, yes. um, is there one past character who has prepared you for this role? All of them. All of them? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, you know, uh, do, there are, it's very singular in our country for actors to be able to work through the, the Shakespearean canon. Unless you have, de- there's no longer, when, when I was at drama school, drama schools, ACT, I went to Yale Drama School, Juilliard, most of them were built to feed the regional theaters. Regional theaters needed product. They had companies. They needed new actors. And the d- drama departments were developed for that. When I got out of drama school in 1982, there were still companies. There was a company at the Guthrie in Minneapolis. There was one in I think in Seattle, there were companies around, uh, around the country, but they were starting to lose their funding and they were starting to break up. Mm-hmm. But those were some of the only places you could work through the classical roles in the theater. So I've had to craft my theatrical, my, my theatrical life in amongst working in film and television. Right. So, so therefore, I haven't been that imaginative, but I've been fortunate, but I've, like, I've done all three sisters in, in The Three Sisters. I've done Blanche and Stella in right. Streetcar Named Desire. Generally what I've found is, and then I've done a lot of my classical work with the Worcester Group, which is a avant-garde theater company in New York. Mm-hmm. But for me, the, 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 and I foresee working with them for the rest of my life as a, a, an actor, and I see playing more classical roles with them mm-hmm. than I do necessarily mm-hmm. in a more commercial mm-hmm. production like this. Mm-hmm. There's, it, it, what, I, what I realized very fast was not just a classical role, but anything in the theater. You can't go from film and television and then do, uh, you know, Moon for the Misbegotten. You mm-hmm. can't run a marathon if you've just been walking around the block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the muscle groups, it's like Pilates and weightlifting. Theater is weightlifting. Uh, film is small muscle groups. So you have to really have to build the stamina to. What other differences are between? I mean, it's obvious that there's a huge, a huge uh, difference, you know, um, of experience between film and stage. But Collins, well, if you were to characterize that, well, I mean, there's obviously much more agency in the theater. You're looking at the well, whole event, really. Yeah, but I think a huge part of it is that you, you know, right. you don't have that on a film set or a television right. set. Right. Unless you're doing a live sitcom or something, but it's the audience and the, and their engagement and their listening to someone else's story and that's a huge factor, you know, which you don't get in television or film. There's a question right here: What do you want from the audience? Innovation. 
um, afterwards, you know, obviously not at the beginning. Right. Um, just their engagement, uh -huh. you know, and it, it, it is a different... I mean, no one teaches theatre etiquette. No one, mm. you know, tells people they can actually hear you. <laughs> you know, it's not a TV screen. It's not a movie screen. There's, the, this is live. If You said it brilliantly once, like, if you burp your pasta, that's coming up because that's... But it is such a live, uh, a live experience, but... Uh, it depends on the engagement of the audience, and if they're not listening or not interested, we may as well be singing to a wall. You know? uh -huh. Yeah, I did, a, I did a, a streetcar, a production of Streetcar at the Gate Theatre in Dublin, and in, during rehearsals, uh, the rental house that I was in, in Dalkey, lovely, uh, the, there, was something, there was something wrong with the plumbing. I had to call in a plumber, and he came in, he fixed it, but then proceeded to tell me a 45-minute story that had me enthralled. And, I, and halfway through, I sat there and I thought, oh, my God, that's what the audience is going to be. He tells, they all know how to tell really good stories. Mm -hmm. I've got to be good. It's so true, it's true. I think, you know, I think be prepared for a story. Just be open to it. Yeah. On Game of Thrones, most of the major characters have been killed off. How have you survived? <laughs> I got pictures of the showrunners naked. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, well, uh, uh, well, because that's what George R. R. Although that uh, uh, wrote, uh, he's still alive in the books right. as far as we've gone with right. him. But uh, uh, and I guess they were at least happy enough with my work not to kill me off. So I'm still there. I assume it's been a, a joyful experience. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely life-changing in, in so many ways. The fact that I remember doing my first show on Broadway in 2000 and somebody giving me a box set of The Sopranos and that white noise logo at the beginning. And I just thought, oh, I'd love to do something like this, but I'd have to leave home. I'd, you know, I'd have to go to the, across the other side of the world. And, and they came to me. So. The lesson is if you wait long enough. Right. Because they shoot. They shoot it in an hour away from where I grew up and live. <laughs> they moved there just for you. It's, it's astonishing. No. <laughs> of course the they circus, didn't. But circus it's, the circus came to town. The circus came to me. I didn't, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to run away to join it. It came. So it's great. I've, I've it. heard you say also uh, in the past that you know, it was not the kind of thing that you originally thought that you'd be interested in doing. That no, it, the truth is, uh, <clears throat> are we all right, Michael? Yeah. I just have to land a plane here once. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, I avoided it. Right. Uh, my agent at the time said, you've got to go meet these guys. Dungeons and dragons and sword fighting. And, and so they eventually came to Belfast, and she went there an hour away, go and meet them. Right. So I did, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's a spin-off question there. I mean, you've both, um, and I... I'm sorry if I'm, I'm being a little invasive here, but you both seem to have a rather cautious relationship with fame and celebrity. I mean, um, I mean, I know that you spent 10 or 12 years not doing press um, as a conscious choice to both raise your child. And, and I think, as I've heard you talk, you know, more just sort of, you know, protect yourself from that level of just invasion is that what do you what do you what is your negotiation with celebrity and fame 
like these days? I mean, you know, you're obviously emerging as a television star. That's the most popular TV show in the history but I, of the world. I'm, I'm a character actor, so right. Um, you know, with a with a couple of months of hair growth, I'm, I'm left alone. Right. And, <laughs> and I have to say, my experience has been that most people have been pleasant and well mannered uh -huh. and not particularly scary. But by and large, I'm left alone. But uh -huh. it's like I don't have a celebrity lifestyle, uh -huh. and I never wanted one. And uh -huh. I think that's all a fallacy. Right. And I just rather let my work speak for itself rather than me. I'm. I think the mistake lots of people make is that they think actors, because they get up and do what they do, are tremendously spontaneous and tremendously off the cuff and right, right. can give you a great soundbite. But the reality is you've rehearsed for, for at least four weeks, if not six or seven. Right. So there's very little that's spontaneous right. about right. <laughs> what we do for a living. But it's, you know, it's kind of like, you do something, you, you're an actor. No, you go teach a geography lesson then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and I don't, this is okay. Yeah, but um, I'm, I just I just turn into Rain Man when I'm interviewed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I just because I don't know what to say. It's not scripted for me. Uh -huh. It's not, uh -huh. you know. It also, you know, I, and and forgive me because you've heard this me rant about it. Uh -huh. the, I we've become the, the culture of celebrity has become so absurd, and it's and it's powering. Uh, young people's lives in uh, an extraordinary way. And, and, and social media has taken away any privacy or any idea or any concept of privacy that they, uh, it's, it's like they're all spies. I watch them and they're always like, with the, I don't know, wonder what they're doing. Oh, I'm gonna check on something. Oh, it's like they're all double agents, triple agents. <laughs> It's like there's some strange cold yeah, war thing going on. Yeah, I find it quite disturbing it's that it's, really it's an ordinary and, and well-documented aspiration for a young person to want to be famous. Yeah, uh -huh. there's no not, work. Not with any specific. Not, right, no, right. You know, I've been, when you talk to my daughter and I say, well, what does she want to do? Is she a singer, a dancer, an actor? No, just famous. <laughs> well, well I don't know then. Yeah. Because you can be famous for, you know, Anything. sticking a pin in somebody. I mean, you, right, it's right, like... Right. Blue, so I think that part of, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I've, uh, I, I don't want to give myself any credit because it was purely selfish, my decision not to do press and publicity. I, I wanted to take my life back. But also, there's an interesting thing that people who enjoy your work as an actor, they'll say, well, you know, if it wasn't for us, if it wasn't for your fans, mm -hmm. if it wasn't for your audience, mm -hmm, and that's what your audience wants. Right. I'll say, well, I didn't become an actor to give you what you want. Uh -huh. I, gave, I became an actor to act, to serve stories that were, you were going to be uh, privy to hearing. But it's, there's no direct relationship to wanting to be an actor and giving a fan what they want. Mm -hmm. Fandom and, and, and fame is a completely separate category from being an actor. Right. So I don't see it as part of the job. Right. I think that if you are, if you're, uh, you know, if you if you want to support a theater, mm -hmm. which is what we're doing, Conleth and I really love working at Berkeley Rep, and we were really happy to support them by doing things like this. But it's not we're not obligated in any way. Yeah. We're only obligated mm -hmm. to to be the best Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, and to serve Dan's production mm -hmm. of it. Right. That's the job, right? You know, it's interesting because. Um, yes. Thank you. Oh, it's not everybody. Oh, oh. So we'll talk about it later.
We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. I mean, you've, you've made a brilliant career out of playing some of the least sympathetic characters. I mean, there's no, I mean, the, the, the level of, of... I'm defensive on your behalf. No, 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 no. No, no, I, I mean this in an absolutely um, I know. important way. I mean, let's just, the last brilliant thing you did, Olive... Kittredge. Brilliant. I mean, that, you know, she was just fierce. But she was so real. That's what, but I'm, 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 just, I'm just saying that, that there. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, but, Stage but, but, but that's, that's, I know what the point you're making, but mm-hmm. the point is that you can have a, a brilliant character, but if they're not real and if they don't have those underbellies of, humanity as well as the heights of humanity, right. then they're not a truthful character. I, I, I completely agree. And I, I actually find actually relief and happiness in seeing things that are real as opposed to things that are unreal. Yeah, yeah. However, the, the definition of what Sorry. is acceptable and sort of a character definition of what, how we can sell characters to the public is, frequ- is, is frequently informed, yeah, especially female, uh, you know, is informed by conversations around, well, you have to make them more, quote-unquote, vulnerable or sympathetic yeah, yeah, yeah. or where's the heart? You hear that a lot. And, and some of the greatest pieces of, li- of literature and, and drama are all about wildly, quote-unquote, unsympathetic people. I mean, Macbeth, Macbeth, for example. You know, so, and I find it interesting that it's, it's actually easier to sell that in this culture when you're doing a classic than when you are doing a, like a modern play. Mm, I think that's true. You know, that's, that's just an interesting contradiction there. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I, I mean, I think part of the reason that all of Kittredge works is because it's four hours. You can't tell a story of that kind of, that, that kind of character right. in, a, in 90 minutes right. because there's no precedent for it. Right. For a female character's story to be told in 90 minutes right. that way, and so you get the, we had the four hours to see her change, but not not uh, ever compromise. Right. We never had to compromise who the who the person who the character was. Right. So that that was a complete discovery for me because I've never done long format television. I've only done episodic, you know, right. seldomly. And mostly movies where I, you know, I'm never the lead character. So that was that. It was brilliant. It was a life. It was a. It was the life of a. I mean, and essentially, it was a four-hour film. It was a four-hour you know, film. And, and, and it started with the char- the the marriage, the two of them being 45 and 55. Right. So it's the last part of a marriage, the last part of two people's lives. Right. So you know, you need more than four hours, but right. we had right. four hours. Um, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to ask you one final question each. And um, I'm sorry for those of you who wrote like really long paragraph questions, because oh, just it, read it's them. Really hard to we read. don't have to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, seriously. 
Um, we'll answer them fast. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when you are in a genre movie, do you feel you have to honor the style of the genre above all else? For example, if you're in a film noir, do you feel you have to reflect a certain degree of femme fatale spirit despite what the rest of the character That's is? That's obviously or do you for just me. <laughs> well... <laughs> I told you. No, 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 no. It's, it's really question. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, but lots of, lots of that work is done for you by your... Uh, noir is a lot about lighting. And it is about black and white and darkness. And th so there are so many other factors that help you as an actor. But I would say it's style. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the only things that style in film is, is genre. Good, quick answer. Um, in the long term, is there a difference in public response to your body of work as you distance yourself from an iconic role in an iconic film? In other words, what percentage of fans who approach you reference a buffet or a word chipper? What the heck? Well, do um, they... Well, I think... Oh! Fargo that's and... Far oh, I, I think... I'm Fargo. sorry. Right, so we're talking about... Uh, great, well, you guys uh, got it. Gr what a great thing is, uh, for me, is Olive starting to trump Marge. You. I, I did not want to go to my grave as Marge Gunderson, because I'm not Marge Gunderson. I'm not going to go to my grave as Olive either, but uh, uh -huh. I like that Olive, people recognize, they miss Olive, which I'm really yeah, which happy is fantastic. about. For Francis, in your Deadpool cameo, where your scarf was caught in the film projector, was that a single take? Loved your cameo and the, and the entire anti-hero film with tribute homage to 50s film folks. Right. Exclamation point. That's Hail Caesar. I'm going to give it a pitch to give the husband's uh, new film a pitch. Yay, Hail Caesar. And uh, I did a, a one scene in it uh, playing C.C. Uh, Calhoun, who is an editor. And the task was to... Sh work on an old movieola, which is what the old editing machines were, which is what Joel started, my husband, started working on as an assistant editor when he was, you know, 20 years old. Wow. So it was this extraordinarily macho thing for him. Now you, uh, you know, <laughs> now Fran, you're going to have to get this right because... Uh, you know, I don't want you... Basically, he didn't want me to make him look bad. And I said, well, you know, you're going to edit the scene. So it's up to you to make me look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I got as good as I could, and he just did, he edited it really well. Pillow talk at the McDormand Cone household. <laughs> no, it's your, it's your job. No, it's your job. No, it's your job. <laughs> Speaking of which, I mean, you've been married to one of the greatest film directors we've had for, you know, 30 plus years. And he is really cute. There you go. Don't you think so? Um, <laughs> eat your heart out, radio audience. Um, so, um, that's obviously been a very fruitful, creative relationship. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned from each other as artists? Uh, as artists. Uh, well, um, discipline, and, um, and, but also, the, he, they, it's about the script. It's mm -hmm. about the script for them. They mm -hmm. write them, they, they, do, they do everything, but they, they, their scripts are fully formed uh, literary pieces of work. Right. Wow. They're not blueprints, they're not, they're not 
you know, sketches, they're fully, they're like you, they read like a play. Uh -huh. So th that's why they so often hire theatrically uh -huh. trained actors because that, that's what they expect, not expect, but hope from a company is to come uh -huh. in and, and to perform them the way Great. they're written. Great. So that would, that's, that's something. But I did ask him on one wedding anniversary if, if I was his muse, and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just lost my earpiece from that. <laughs> God, I'm a mess over here. Anyway. Um, so if anyone needs one. Great. <laughs> um, okay. Um, if you've never seen Macbeth, would you recommend studying or prepping to, to, to get it or go to the play with no background? Go to the play and watch it. I agree. What about you, Francis? Yeah, you don't, yeah, it's so, especially our We production. haven't read it, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Why should they be more prepared yeah. than you guys? <laughs> it's about McDonald's or something. Um, okay, last two. Um, this is kind of accusative. Um, how do you each handle staying grounded with privilege? Ooh. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I worry about it much more for my son than I do for myself. That's probably not good because he, he, you learn by example. But uh, I don't come from privilege. I'm from working class background. So if anything, uh, the privilege that, that I believe I do have a certain e a, a economic privilege because my husband is a really good saver. Um, but... <laughs> The privilege of having, I have, a, I, I, I never forget how privileged I am professionally. I have had an extraordinary career, mm -hmm. and uh, I would wish it for anybody. Mm -hmm. So I never take it for granted. Mm -hmm. You just don't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. No. I think I was always privileged, even when I had no money, just because of the wealth of my family and friends and the people that I work with. And... Uh, you know, it's, again, for actors, it's not always about money. It's about wanting to do something, wanting to tell a story, and mm -hmm. to be given that opportunity for the last 30 years and to never have been out of work that time. I couldn't be happier. That's uh, the privilege. That's the privilege. We've gotten, we've gotten, to, we've gotten to be working actors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think most actors... It isn't about fame or money. It's about if you're working, if you're making a living, however frugal, it's, that's your success. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're smart enough, you'll, you'll realize that if you're working. Mm -hmm. Okay, last question here. Um, what role have you always wanted to do that you haven't done, and what was your favorite role? Hard to pick favorites, I know, but... Well, I think your favorite's usually your current, right. the one you're working yeah, exactly. on. Yeah, exactly, right. So I think if we take that as red, um, and then what was the first part of it? What, was, what, is, well, what role have you always wanted to do that you haven't done? I'm doing it. Uh, I, I had, to, again, like I've never had a, a game plan or anything. When I came out of drama school, I had three roles I'd really quite wanted to play and I did them within a year so I thought I'll forget that just see what comes see up see what comes up right although you're obviously both in a situation now where you're you're really picking what you're doing I mean you there's a difference of or am I wrong about that 
No. No, not necessarily. Really? I mean, we can't work unless someone asks us. To. Yeah, sure, of course, but it's not like you go. Well, maybe, maybe you can. Some people can go. I want to play that, and I'll I'll sort it out. But uh, for me, it's still kind of I have to be asked. Right. I've started producing stuff for film and television, right. so that makes a difference. Right. But uh, there's also, you know, there's a there's a. a, a there's, except in classical work, there's not a lot of roles for older right. women old and, or, or nor right. older men. So, How do you find the challenges of being a producer? I love it. Uh -huh. uh, because um, I have, I, when I'm not working, I'm a housewife, and I'm a really good housewife, uh -huh. and producing basically uses those skills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> those skills. And on that note, we bring our evening to a close. Our thanks to Frances McDormand and Commonwealth Hill for sharing all their stories with us. I am Tony Ciccone. And now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, the place where you're in the know, is adjourned. Thank you for joining us for this week-to-week -week presentation of a recent Commonwealth Club program. I'm John Zipperer, host of Week to Week, and I invite you to find us online at commonwealthclub.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in today. For more on us and other programs or podcasts you might have missed, you can head to michellemeow.com. See you all next week. Tune into the Michelle Meow Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.